0: Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, and my co-host Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer in Game. We are here, episode four, very exciting, and we also have some exciting news. You can now find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So I guess it's starting now, I'm obligated to ask everyone that listens for a five-star review on one of those platforms. I don't actually think it'll help anyone find us, but I will excitedly email Ruben anytime we get a five-star review. Oh, I can't wait. So let's uh, get right into it, because we have a lot to talk about again this week, Um, to our card of the week, Resilient Wagoneer, which is three, just a shadow, it's a one-one with pledge and empower, plus two, plus two this turn for each of your other units. I wanted to talk about this card uh, I guess mostly to ask your opinion um, on it because I feel like this is a pretty polarizing card where some people really like it and some people really don't. And I think they're probably scared off by its 1-1 base stats. But I really like the card and think it really did work. I actually really liked it when it was just plus 1, plus 1. It still ended up like still felt like it got big enough to do something most of the time and now that it's plus two plus two when you empower for each of your other units it just gets mind-bogglingly gigantic sometimes i think
1: yeah yeah i agree i think that it i mean pledge being a two-colored two-faction pledge card (laughs) gives it a lot of value inherently and you know it it can attack really well. It doesn't block well, which is, I think, its biggest issue. Um, I think one of the things to think about when you're drafting a card like that is that it's it almost plays like a, like a combo deck to some degree. Like, if you have certain cards, like, one of my favorites to combo with that is uh, Secret Passage, which is the relic that gives unblockable. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen people combo Secret Passage with Wagoneer into some just absurdly gigantic hits um, right. with Scavenge and every you know, Scavenge making more tokens and stuff. So I think that it's it can just, it can fit in the right type of deck. I, I would say that you know if you're just looking at a tier list or something, it might not be the most highly rated card even poorly rated by
0: a lot of people but in the right deck right situation, it's exactly what you want. Yeah, but see, that's where I actually question it a little bit, because I I think it's just like a totally fine to good card in just about any deck, because like, I don't know, I feel like most decks, you know, you always have like three to four, five people, and so yes, it's not a good blocker, but it's still, even under normal circumstances, getting to be like a 7-7, a 9-9, and and it i think you know the problem is it doesn't have any kind of evasion or tramp overwhelm so if you have ways to do that
1: that's where it really can shine but you're right even even in general if you have a go wide strategy you're definitely going to want yeah a wagoneer in your deck because it's going to demand a trade of some kind (laughs) they're going to have to put people in front of it
0: right and you know you could they can only chump for so long and they're not no, they're not playing anything bigger than this guy when it attacks. If you have even a reasonable board, yeah. So, I I don't know. That's just I'm not saying this is right, but I just think that people in general are maybe undervaluing this card a little bit.
1: Yeah, yep. Don't play it in a defensive deck that doesn't have lots of units. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you if you're drafting, you know, time, justice, shadow, Carrington, with big you know big units and a little more slow controlling plan, the Wagoneer is absolutely not where you want to be because mm-hmm. it won't play defense and it won't do much on offense either. Right. Alright, is so it my turn to do my card of the week? Yeah, please. Oh, boy, I just chose a bunch of cards in one category <laughs> that is merchants. Merchants are absolutely insane in draft. and I'm sure most people have experience this at this point you you see them quite often in the format Um, they're not super rare Um, and they do a lot of great things both you know regular merchants and smugglers and draft are great typically a smuggler has no having to make it a black market obviously is not a big deal and the the main strength of a merchant is just being able to trade out a useless or you know a, a sigil or something some for a very relevant unit or potentially a removal spell or you can put a couple of really good um, more situational cards in your market and they'll end up winning you the game. So merchants are just very, very powerful, very flexible cards that you know give you a, a another great angle to win the game. So pick them up if you see them they're highly worth it and I, I'd say there's there's a few you know you wouldn't want to pick a merchant over a big flying bomb or something you know 4-4 four, four flyer for 5 or something like that but I still take merchant over just about everything else
0: yeah yeah. for me the hardest part about merchants is remembering to then pick up situational cards because I have a market
1: uh, you don't have to think about that you always
0: <laughs> end up with a number of
1: those yeah, this well, you should have some some playable excess cards to throw in there. Yeah, I I've, I don't know. I've never had to think about picking things up intentionally for merchants. I I mean, sometimes you see people do that, but more often than not, you won't have trouble.
0: Yeah, well, I I guess you know, like sometimes you'll be like late into a pack, and then there'll be like just another filler, like three mana three. Or, you know, three power three, three or something, and also a disjunction. You know, in those times where you're like, oh, you might as well just take the disjunction because that could make it an, into your market if you have a merchant, you know, like that could make it into your market while well, you probably don't need your sixth. Right. You
1: know, yeah, that's cost a good point.
0: point. So, but those are the situations where I'm, since I'm, I guess I'm often drafting on mobile, so I'm not necessarily, I don't, I'm, not always counting all my units every single pick or something, and I'm like, oh well, this will probably, you know, this is a reasonable card, and so I end up not picking those like good situational cards that could make it into my market. Okay, going into next our next segment, the seven win run breakdown. I had a pretty middling week of uh, three threes and four threes, and uh, Ruben quit drafting, so. <laughs> there were no seven win run decks from us but luckily our um dear listeners came through and uh we got drafts from five listeners this week uh andrew james e-money um all sent in drafts and they had drafts from last week so we've uh, they've been having a great two weeks of drafting i think and then we got um drafts from jose and ben for the first time this week so thank you to the five of you for sending in drafts and um everyone else who uh listens to this podcast um if you do get a seven win draft uh please send that you can send that to farming at gmail.com and i post them to a spreadsheet which you can find in the show notes or on our reddit post Um, and it has a bunch of different stats and stuff that you can look at and see kind of what decks are doing well. Ruben wanted to go over some decks again that people sent in. I thought that was kind of a fun segment last week. Um, So we'll go to that. All right, let's start with Andrew with a Fire Justice
1: Primal, also known as Ixton. All right, this deck is, oh, yeah, it's a beauty. With lots of great early plays, two forge masters, even a notorious scoundrel, which is the <clears throat> the rare when you put a when it has renown, and then
0: you put a four two weapon on it.
1: Yes, it, and and a wanted poster Oh, yeah. And <laughs> for the... your opponent. So it's high risk high reward type of card. I've I've always been a little too scared to play it myself, but I I can see how in this deck especially. Um with he's also has two granite acolytes, a bare arms, a changey stick, a ruination sledge um lots of really and finest hour ways to push through and keep it keep it dealing damage um also has a geneva merchant like mm-hmm. we were saying earlier It's amazing we'll go over look at his market here he's got. He only managed four cards in the market, so I guess that proves me wrong, my point earlier about <laughs> always having plenty of cards. But they do have a Primal Sigil, a Pitfall Trap, a Krill, Merciless Pillager, seven drop, and a Topaz Drake. So I think having, you know, a Sigil, a Trap, and a Topaz Drake at your in your market to go for is great. It's perfectly fine. Um has a siege breaker which is the six five trampling elemental for four two it's two fire to play but it's six five for four with overwhelm <laughs> summon kill an enemy relic entomb the enemy draws a relic of their choice from their deck so that's uh, uh, the the downside of the entomb is really barely a problem considering the stats on this guy six five Overwhelm for four is just a that's an easy game winning card Um, and you also had two Beastmasters and a chalute captain in the deck a permafrost which is great shingani forge which is a fun uh, relic that makes a 2-1 weapon whenever you play a unit so it can get out of hand really quick
0: yeah I feel like that's another one of those uh, polarizing cards where some people really love that card because it can take over games, and then some people, me included, feel like it's sort of a five a five power do nothing card. A lot. Yeah, of like yeah. Uh,
1: forge is a bit better. I think there's there's that one uh, justice relic that you know you have to pay two to pump a guy, mm-hmm. and that one's a lot worse than forge. Forge is one that just accrues value on its own after. It, sits there you don't have to pay any extra to get the effects and if you get something like a scavenge with forge it makes three axes (laughs) when you play it so there's there's some ways to really make that card just very very powerful Mm -hmm. um in this deck it's looking okay i think andrew already had so much with two beast masters and a siege breaker and the chalute captain and a valkyrie arcanist that it's almost Overkill the Forge, Um, Mm -hmm. but this deck wasn't going to lose many games anyway. He's uh, also on the on the spell side. He has a Defiance and two Lightning Strikes, and and, Perry and Perry. Perry is a great card too. Um, So it's just a really solid deck that uses some good renown
0: effects and has a very good late game. This is uh, not necessarily related to Andrew's deck, but. Kind of more to your card of the week. Is there? You mentioned putting um, a removal spell in the market. Would you actually do that? Would you just put like uh, a pretty are, good, yeah, just like kill a unit?
1: There are there are a few that I think are borderline for main deck. Um, like the seven costing shadow one. What's that uh-huh. called? And uh, in, yeah, inspired violence or something. Yeah, yeah, you know everybody. I'm sure listening knows what I'm talking about. um yeah. I think that that card is is the type of card that shines in a market. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not as where you want to be in your main deck. You don't want to be picking that early, but to right. throw a six or seven costing removal spell in your market is perfectly reasonable. And that yeah. sometimes they're pretty easy to pick up, even.
0: Yeah, um, no, that I understand. I was just wondering if there was like ever a point where you'd put like a lightning strike or something in your market
1: oh maybe if i had like three or four lightning strikes yeah <laughs> exactly okay
0: i'm like is there a number of like annihilates yeah. you would need to have before you're like oh, maybe this fifth one goes in the market i don't know you No, know, most removal
1: spells are going to make your main deck yeah um just certain ones like violent gusts you know things that are yeah yeah the conditional ones right. or super expensive i think i would keep those to the market okay all right well andrew went seven and two with that deck way to go Alright, so now we got... Let's let's compare another uh, Fire Justice Primal deck that James here sent in. Let's see, so this one has two Bannermen, two Copper Hall Porter, and a Crownwatch Paladin, and an Oni Samurai at the front end, with Granite Accolade, one of those, which is my favorite card. Um, two Court Mages and a Surveyor, so they picked up some, you know, of those... Vanilla pledge cards that a- actually end up doing quite a bit of work in a lot mm-hmm. of decks. Um, and had, ooh, a burn them all, a conflagrate, a fall short, and dragon breath. Just did a good job just picking up some extra removal. Gilded glaive. Uh, Gilded glaive is an interesting weapon that I'm sitting on the fence with a little bit, mainly because it costs two justice and I have actually had problems <laughs> casting it in some of my decks uh, even recently I lost a game because I couldn't get to my second justice for, for it and it, it also it kind of makes your your power sequencing weird when you have a card that has empower that you, you want to be able to get the two justice before the weapon you know right. so that it can come down and get the, the effect and I found that sometimes that's that's hard to do and sometimes you even forget.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily, um, James here is pretty solidly justice this is his main color, so yeah, that helps. I'd, I'd say this is this is one of the first decks, seven win decks we've gotten
1: that that you know doesn't look particularly broken. Just f- from looking at it, it's very solid. Lots of good cards and mm-hmm. everything, but nothing there's not a whole lot that sticks out to me as being super broken, except for the fact that he has pretty good fixing with the two Bannermans and a, a token, a couple tokens and then just a good top end Yeah, uh, that's that's when cards like Court Mage it's, I'm sure as he was drafting this, he was assessing and realizing that, you know, he has got a New Order Watchwing and a Skycrag Wivark and master and just needed to get to those late game
0: yeah effects. no I agree I feel like any deck of mine that has uh, two court mages in it I'm not feeling particularly great about so that's uh this is I think a pretty impressive probably well played seven win oh yeah seven win deck yeah here. I'm sure he had to play tight to get those those seven elements yeah. I mean burn but, them all is I think a very good card though that's true burn them
1: all is a bomb absolutely all right great job james thanks for sending in your decks all right oh yeah now now on to the main event a deck <laughs> that required very little effort <laughs> we we both actually had the had the luck of watching this stream um that e-money did at, where he drafted this just absolutely absurd Carandon uh, time shadow justice deck yeah, um, mostly uh, mostly main xenon with the with a splash of very justice. Very light
0: splash of justice. Yeah, and it's uh, deck twenty five for anyone that uh, wants to look at it later. Yeah, everybody
1: was coming by to to the stream to see this thing because it was it's bonkers. He so okay, let's go through the number of just absolutely ridiculous just rares that he ended up getting, um, rares and legendaries. So he got an Iron Fist Chancellor, which is an amazing, it's the the two drop legendary that can copy itself once you hit 5 and make a copy with all of the weapons on it. So yeah. it can just pump out... It's a 2-drop that can pump out an army for you.
0: Yeah, and with Tribute, it's a 2-drop
1: It's a two drop that's a 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, 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 that's right. It has a Tribute effect as well. Um, had Triple Amethyst Acolyte, which is a card that's just even better than it looks most of the time. <laughs> that See, is. last week's episode. And very easy to cast, just one shadow of influence it's all you need to get it done um he also had a memory dredger which is also a bomb it's three four for four flyer that (laughs) brings back uh two that brings
0: back an iron fist chancellor
1: it brings back yeah and he's (laughs) got a scorpion and iron fist chancellor and a resolute monk to bring back actually we never even saw him play or connect with the dredger (laughs) in his seven this is an easy seven oh for the record um we haven't even gotten to the really sweet stuff, though. Had After the Memory Dridger, the 5 slot had two Elder Astrologers, which is the 4-4 four, four flyer for 5 that pumps and gives lifesteal to one of your guys. And that card's obviously just a bomb, flat-out bomb. Um, and a vein, Moonstone Vanguard, which is the 5-5 five, five endurance sentinel for 5 that draws cards when it attacks and gains life when it blocks uh, and a Temple Captain, which is the 6-drop uh, Time Lord with Overwhelm to pump your team. Uh, so
0: And a yeah, Worm that, Calling.
1: And a Worm Calling, so just crazy stacked on that top end. Just really, all I mean, all those cards are just... And he ended up with two bigons your favorite card. Ended up being really good in a lot of games that I watched. And a Suffocate, and a Devour, and a Dispel. Um. Yeah, and two attachments for his Iron Fist Chancellor, Sandglass Parma, and Hair Trigger Pistol, which ended up getting to watch him Sandglass Parma an Iron Fist Chancellor, and then make copies, <laughs> make multiple two fives that gave him more power. Although it didn't really matter. I think he was just running everybody over with giant flyers every game. It was yeah. it was pretty. So this is, this is a rare, rare sort of deck to see pulled together because not only was his, his factions that he dove into pack one were completely open in pack two and three, they were loaded with bombs. He was just getting past bombs at like multiple points. I mean, many of these weren't even first pick. He was just getting past these incredibly powerful cards. He actually got a second this is. I found this very odd. He got a second pick, Elder Astrologer, Pack One, Pick One or Pick Two, and I can't imagine a card I would take over that. And we were talking about it, and you know, he was saying he thinks pe- some people just really hate drafting Shadow, and I think that it's a bad idea. I don't think you should avoid any specific faction <laughs> if it's you know if it's good, it's good. And a four-four flyer for five with extra upside is just way too strong mm-hmm. to, to pass. I would be interested to know what that guy picked over it, but I, I, I think it was likely to be incorrect <laughs> and or a misclick. I don't know. <laughs> well, that was a good way to start the draft, getting a second pick bomb.
0: <laughs> yeah. A second pick elder astrologer.
1: I agree. All right. So we'll finish up with a deck sent to us by Jose Carlos. Uh, which is just a two-faction time shadow list with a tiny splash for it looks like a sloth in the market because they end up getting an Aurelian merchant. Uh, Also had two Resolute Monks, which I think we probably said this before, but that card is one of the premier two-drops in the draft format right now because it it attacks through most things and if left unanswered just can really quickly take the game over. Also had three flickerlings, which is pretty interesting because that, that card is really good in the right type of deck, especially if you can gum up the ground a little bit, which it looks like they can because Jose also got two consuming greeds and some relics to sack to them
0: yeah so, though not a lot this is I actually another another deck that I would not call a very bomb sort of a, it's not a very bomb heavy deck
1: yeah so he's got he's got enough to play the consuming greeds he's got a memori- mesmerized moth and cryptic etchings, a curator spear and a porcelain Mask. so he's got four main plus deck. one in the market yeah plus one cryptic etchings in the market. With the merchant, so I think that, that it wasn't too big of a stretch. I think four is enough. Um, I think you want to be around uh, five or six typically if you are playing multiple consuming greeds. Mm-hmm. Um, not five or six bad uh, relics, though. <laughs> you want yeah. you want ones that have pretty decent effects. Um, yeah. If you're loading your deck up with cryptic etchings, the the scouting relic, you're not doing quite as good because that card doesn't really impact the game state. Yeah, um, and doesn't stack very well. Yeah, no, that's also true. Um, but this you know this deck is it's lean and has a game plan. It's got the flyers and it's got, you know, a bee gone and uh, was running two Lockhorns, which is pretty interesting. I haven't seen a lot of people playing that card, but I can see in this deck it was quite good because there's really no Almost everything has uh, at least two toughness. Yeah, and a lot
0: of evasion.
1: And, and Lockhorn's is kind of a can be used as a removal spell in a pinch, um, which is not completely irrelevant. I've definitely done it before. <laughs> yeah, kill, killed an opponent's uh, you know two one flyer or something with it. Yeah, kill
0: a it, resolute it, monk.
1: Yeah, you can kill a Resolute Monk with it, which is very good if you get to pull that off. Also had a Twin Fang Cobra. I like that card. I think it's it's not as good as I initially thought it was when I first started playing the format, um, but it, it it can be really good. And the fact that Twin Fang Cobra combos really well with having three Flickerlings and a night Nightblade and a Mesmerized Moth, and he has a Skeeter and two Consuming Greeds, so that, that weapon's really almost always gonna go on a flyer and start doing some work so it's just yeah it looks like this this deck is just going for that that nice consistency angle which I really can appreciate. I have a definitely have a thing for decks that have a easy to execute plan that doesn't mm-hmm. require you know a lot of splashes of different factions and you know a lot of different things going on. It's nice when you can just play a Resolute Monk into a Flickerling, and that's just a lot of games enough, uh, plenty to get the job done. <clears throat> All right. Well, thank you, Jose. Thank you to everybody who sent in their deck lists. We're going to be the, the premier drafting spreadsheet. That's our goal. We want to we we get as many as we can to really, you know, get the statistics in so this is this has been very useful for me personally um seeing what people are pulling off and seeing you know what is being successful generally Which, yes yeah takes us into your next segment here
0: yeah i'll just uh every week we like to give a little overview of um what people have been drafting and uh maybe the overall stats um so this week, uh, Skycrag and Elysian uh, were the top color pairs uh, with each uh, having... Uh, there were five of them in the 13 drafts that we uh, received this week. Uh, Zenin uh, is still right up there with four decks this week, um, which makes Xenon and Elysian the most winning decks overall, making up uh, 40% of decks each. And uh, what that is, is uh, in one section of the spreadsheet, I have color pairs. So for example, um, if you're wind chest, you know, fire, justice, shadow, that would add a mark for fire, justice and justice, shadow. So the it's not like Elysian and Xenon make up uh, 80% of the decks, but they each make up 40% of the decks. And there's probably some overlap there. The other uh, kind of fun thing is I want to congratulate James for being our first uh, off-tricolor or uh, shard 7-win deck. And uh, he won with a Fire Primal Shadow deck, and we don't know the names of that yet, so that's all we can say. Way ahead of the
1: curve there, man.
0: Yeah, Yeah. he's about (laughs) six months ahead of everyone else, I think.
1: I have not tried any off color shards yet and i I feel like oh i'm ready though i seal i sealed up that top 100 spot so i'm back to drafting and i'm going to be experimenting i'm glad everybody's sending me all these great decks to give me some inspiration
0: yep and then uh unsurprisingly of the color pairs that are ally colors and that means uh The colors that are next to each other, so like fire time, time justice, justice primal, primal shadow, shadow fire. Those are all obviously the least represented of the decks, um, which makes sense since they're the most sort of unflexible uh, pairings to use as a base. Then justice keeps being the least drafted color with, yeah, it's the least drafted of the five colors. And also, um, of all the enemy color pairs, all the Justice ones are the least drafted. So, kind of surprising. That makes Rakano uh, one of the least represented color pairs in our spreadsheet and Arjunport also. Which is kind of surprising because I still think uh, people think that the Fire Justice Primal deck is the strongest. But it seems like at least, I mean, again, we don't have a huge sample size, but... You know, people seem to be prioritizing the the Rocano or the sorry the Skycrag base as compared to the Rocano base for that deck. That is interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I've heard a lot of people saying justice in general is not as good. Um, I guess the the numbers are supporting that to a yeah. certain degree, but I. I, I I'm gonna stand by my statement earlier. Of don't don't avoid any specific faction. That's a surefire way to end up forcing a bad deck or yeah. missing missing signals. Because there, I think the actual takeaway I'm seeing from this data is that you can make almost anything a seven win deck. Like it's doable. We have certain. There are definitely certain uh, factions that are more successful in general and are stronger when you do have them. Come yeah. your way, but yeah, I, I, I would never suggest forcing anything.
0: Yeah, no, I think actually every single um, of the tri factions has at least one seven win uh, draft in our thing.
2: Oh yeah.
0: So we have so far uh, five people have uh, seven seven wins with Aurelian, two with Winchest, two with Keradin, four with Genev and three with Ixton. And even when I said the main colors, like Justice has uh, 10 of the 24 decks, or 27 decks has Justice in it. So 37% of decks have Justice, while Time, 19 of the 27 have Time in it. So 70% of the decks have Time in. Um, So, I mean, it is a big difference, but you know, it's not, I mean, I guess time is just so far above everyone, actually. yeah. Uh, t- time's in 19 of the 27, primals in 15 of the 27, shadows in 15, fires in 12, and is in 10. Throwing that out there that, yeah. you know, st- still seems like time is, is kind of where you want to start, I think. If, if it's open and then kind of work from there is sort of what I've been going with. So next uh, to our main topic uh, this week, uh, Ruben wanted to talk about uh, yeah Ruben's six tips to getting seven wins in his uh, Ruben's drafting tips and tricks segment.
1: Yeah, I've got I've got plenty of tips and tricks, but I I wanted to hit a few important ones this week um, and see what you think as well. I, I, I wanted to make it accessible for newer players too, for those of you listening who are you know, still uh, struggling or learning. Um, these are all hopefully easy to understand points. Um, but let's get into it. First thing I want to talk about is tier lists. Uh, I know that a lot of people in a lot of different games, tier lists are just the thing everybody goes to. I've used them in all sorts of different games i played, you know, from back when I played like League of Legends even, you know, something like that, where you have metagames. But a tier list, as far as drafting goes, they're a good starting point in Eternal, um, and they can definitely help you with learning to read signals by knowing which cards the community kind of is valuing higher or lower. but ultimately a tier list is not going to get you through to creating absolutely optimal decks. Um, cause really the, the key here is, is flexibility and determining at each point at each pick, what your strengths and weaknesses are with your deck, with what you're building up. Um, so even a card like, you know, mass intimacy, one that we talked about how it's pretty bad generally. Um, and a lot of tier lists have it as rated very bad. But sometimes it's very useful. And sometimes you have to have it because say you got, you know, a triple wormstone deck and you're struggling to have decent playable spells, um, you're you're gonna have to play that mass intimacy. So it's the the point here is, you know, to use the to keep tier lists, you know, in the proper frame as like a good starting point, but when you're when you're building your deck, don't don't be like referring back to it too much. Like, oh, with this pick, you know, I should pick uh, this card over this card. You know, say say there's like a good unit, or even just a vanilla bad unit, and like a really great you know multi faction uh, spell. It, if you don't have a lot of units, or you don't have a three drop, you're gonna want to pick up a three drop. You know, it's, mm-hmm. so you're you're always just reassessing and building up, you know, the best deck that you can with the cards that you're being passed.
0: So... Recently, I've been kind of a little bit off tier lists and um, a lot more interested in, like, just... like, thinking... like, sort of shrinking the number of cards I need to think about. So, you know, you have your, like, top three commons of each color, top five commons, and then, you know, your couple uncommons that are really strong. And I feel like that's a smaller list that you can almost keep in your head. And then when you're drafting, you know, you can just look at it and be like, oh, are any of these cards like my Pack One, Pick One, Pack One, Pick Oneable commons that I think about? And then that kind of gets you through your first five picks. And then, you know, after that, you're so much of it is dependent on your draft anyway. Because I found myself getting, especially when I was, starting in eternal you look at this tier list and then you're like searching trying to find the one kind <laughs> the the, the card you're looking at and seeing oh is this one is a 3.5 and that one's a four and a, and it's just like it felt like it was almost too much information to the point of not actually helping me in my draft as compared to just being like is there you know there's no bomb rare okay is there a carrot and stewart Yes. Okay. Then I I pick that because that's, you know, a top common. And, you know, so you can just like really just get a hand, you know, have a handful of like your top commons and your top uncommons. And then you just like read the rare to see if it's a bomb or not, you know, through your sort of just your own general knowledge and evaluation skills, then like that's enough to to get you through. And I feel like a tier list for me, at least personally, just ends up bogging me down with information and like the, you know, the information to value ratio isn't actually very good for me.
1: So my next point we'll get into is something I like to call rarity bias. (laughs) uh, And it's something that we all do and suffer from, um, especially when you have a fresh draft format. But what I mean by rarity bias is when, you know, you're, you have a really great common and, like, maybe an uncommon that you don't get to play with as much that, and, you know, you're worried that you're not going to see again or something and you end up picking it. I, I think that that's going to be a mistake that a lot of us make. And, you know, because sometimes that Oni Forge Master, or Confligrate is going to be so much better than some super powerful three-faction uncommon or rare... And it's the safer pick that's going to end up making more of your decks. <laughs> um, and what, one example I like to use is like uh, Steel-Eyed Pistolier is the 3 power 3-3 three, three for, mm-hmm. for 3 that gets double damage whenever you renown um, versus something super vanilla like Coastal Recruit. And I think that there are going to be plenty of decks that are going to rather have a coastal recruit, even though it's, it seems silly, you know, because the upside of a pistolier with the double damage. But if you don't have any great ways to really like trigger or give that invasion, you know, with changey sticks or something like that, just the consistency of a coastal recruit with the with pledge, pledge yeah. is so much is so much better. So I think that that it's just something to to think about um, also i want to as a caveat new players <laughs> who are listening please don't feel bad for rare drafting at all like you're good you can snag every rare you see and still have a perfectly decent deck so um, you know you're you're not going to climb to diamond or masters probably by rare drafting exclusively but it can be a good way to build up your collection and you'll still end up having fun and and you can do well. You can get a seven-win draft easy. Yeah, I mean, definitely not impossible. So, I, I yeah, if you're still building your collection, I, I you know, wouldn't be passing up legendaries or anything. All right, next. Uh, oh,
0: yeah, I just uh, wanted to... Oh, uh, yeah, so, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. With the Steel-Eyed Pistolier and Coastal Recruit, that's actually kind of an interesting example for me because uh, it's one of those where... I guess I never would have put it as in like a rarity bias. Yeah. I guess I I hadn't thought of it as a rarity bias per se as in, but just like doing the numbers, like where, you know, when those two are in the pack, I end up often picking the steel eyed pistolier because I'm just like so much less likely to see another one than, than a coastal recruit. So I, I, at least I justify to myself, like I'm playing the numbers. Like when I have an uncommon and a common that are like sort of very close to the same level, I'm, I often feel like I should just pick the uncommon because chances are I will see another of the common. I mean, right. if the common's like a conflagrate where you're not going to see it, you know, past pick three or something, then it's different. But like a lot of them where you have a middling uncommon and a, which would make it, you know, a pretty good common. You're just like, ah, oh, maybe I should just like take the uncommon because I'm probably going to see like three or four coastal recruits or whatever.
1: I, I, yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. It's, it's, it's just making the best choice at whatever point you are at the draft. Because a steel eyed pistoler probably, at, you know, in the very beginnings of the first pack, mm-hmm. I, is probably better because the upside is stronger. But if you're, you know, late in pack four and you're looking for playable three drops and you don't have a lot of good renown it's just something to be aware of yeah no i think it's just you're not auto auto picking an uncommon over a common or a rare or something over you always just need to pick the card you need the most yeah that's that's the important
0: and it's just a good another question to ask yourself like am i picking this Rare because it's rare, or am I picking this rare because it's actually what my deck needs?
1: Uh, let's get to the next one. Influence requirements in Eternal draft, so it's a little more forgiving than if you're if anybody's coming from Magic, where you have to tap a land to choose which color you get, you know, with it. Whereas in Eternal, once you get that influence, you have that influence to use however you need. Um, but it's still important in Eternal not to get greedy. Um, as I've said a lot of times before, if you have too many competing, especially double faction requirements, uh, you're just eventually going to lose games to influence problems. It's, it's something we all run into. It's that finding that proper balance of uh, the greed versus consistency. <laughs> because the, the, the current format does have a lot of fixing right now. Um, but but also I'd say be wary of avoiding fixing with the assumption that more is heading your way. So if, if you do, if you're in the middle of a draft and you need fixing, you're noticing a severe lack of fixing, you should probably grab it unless you're passing up something extra strong. So pretty basic tip. Basically, don't get too greedy. Okay, point four. All right, so this is just... For those of you who are kind of new as well, um, the same person at, or people are passing packs one and four to you, and a different person passes two and three. So be, because of this, you're, you know, in, in a magic draft, you're, you're picking cards and you're sending signals to people, you know, to the left of you, and then it switches directions for the next pack and they're passing back to you. So you can cut off colors and things. Whereas an eternal, it's just all about figuring out what is open, just reading the signals that are sent to you. Um, you don't have to think at all about sending signals whatsoever. Um, so because of this, the important thing to do in eternal is to try and find that convergence of those signals between, you know, your, the person packing, passing packs one and four and two and three. Um, because of this, I think a lot of people have s- s- gone with that idea of drafting a solid, you know, one or two factions in that first pack and kind of staying open for the third or fourth factions in that second pack because you don't, you know, have any idea what's going to be coming. However, I have to point out for this format specifically, I think the power level of the defiance packs is generally higher. Um, you have a lot more of the, the payoff cards and really powerful cards. They, they kept the draft packs a little more vanilla, a little more like a lot of fixing, a lot of support effects and cards. Um, so I, I think that generally your, your best, a lot of your best cards are going to be coming from those. So if you get super obvious signals in pack one, you really can stand to like reap the rewards in that pack four, and you'll have a very competitive deck for example, that e money deck we were talking about he he saw xenon was open pack one so he kind of stayed on those and then those the packs two and three it was just completely wide open, so you, it it' fit perfectly but if if say you know instead of Xenon being open and packs two and three, Elysian had been open, you could have easily added on that third faction and made a a very solid deck so all right so Tips and tricks. Number five. This is pretty general. <laughs> play, t- play tight. Uh, so playing tight uh, means a lot of things, but I- I'll just kind of bring up a few points. So don't be afraid to use, like, the double redraw. Um, they-, they gave us that extra redraw for a reason, and sometimes you just have to use it. Um, I generally just don't keep hands that don't do anything, you know, in the first... Three turns, it's it's pretty rough and a lot of games you're just going to lose to an Oni Ronin or a Resolute Monk or something, you know, you just, you want to be uh, establishing your game plan <clears throat> um, and also try to be generally less results oriented when you're playing card games, I think there there's always things to be learned from every win and loss that you have and if you're, if you're really aware of that and you're thinking through these things and taking notes, you don't have to write them down necessarily. If you do, that's going to help you immensely. But even taking mental notes like, how did I win? Oh, I won with this card, you know. Or how did I lose? Well, I lost to this card specifically. I think, um, you know, that that extreme results-oriented way of thinking can really throw you off and can cloud your judgment and vision. Because, you know, sometimes you have an amazing deck that goes 0-3. It it definitely happens. And, you know, sometimes you can just chalk those losses up to um, just bad draws. Um, Though I I do think that you can... (laughs) There's something to be learned from every game in some way or another. You can always be, you know, thinking through whether or not a redraw was correct or not redrawing was correct. And I, I do that. I spend a lot of time thinking through those things. Even in the middle of a game, sometimes while my opponents, playing, I'll be like, "Oh God, wait, what was that hand I read you? Oh right, it had this and this. That would have been so much better." Um, I think maybe that was a mistake. You know, just it. it you can also fall into that trap of, uh, of hind- of using hi- too much hindsight, and because the correct decision is the correct decision in the, the moment, not mm-hmm. this, you know. Also, don't be afraid to take time with your play decisions. Uh, take time to do math uh it that is really a big thing that (laughs) a lot of players maybe don't even realize that they're just not doing but doing things like counting out the clock you know the number of turns it's going to take for you to attack through and win the game or the number of turns that the opponent's clock has to win the game always having that number kind of in your head can uh give you the answers you need and the correct decisions because sometimes if you're not you know, winning a rate, you, you, a lot of players will use the, the terms of whether or not you're playing the aggro or the control, and in almost every single game you are either the aggressor or the de- defender in a way, um, but sometimes you're both the aggressor. Sometimes you know your clock, you got that combat trick in your hand, and you've counted it out, and you've got the win lined up, and you know they don't have a fast spell or something, then you can make the right decision. Um, Also, this is related to the take time with your play decisions. Remember, you can right-click an opponent's avatar to mute them if they're spamming emotes at you. Uh, I I usually have found that most of the good or friendly players are fine with you using the timer up. Um, Don't don't feel bad about it. Uh, I think if, if somebody is getting agitated, they're you're, they're not people you want to be your friend anyway. So it also, it, a lot of times it gives them extra time to think through their plays anyway. So they're not, I, I, I don't usually get angry when people are taking their time to make play decisions. Also uh, playing <laughs> or drafting fast is something some streamers do for the sake of, you know, their audience. But it's a really fast way to lose lots of games too. So uh, I, I, I like it. And I appreciate that some people like blast through their drafts really fast and make decisions quickly to keep things moving. But for your own, you know, playing, that's
0: not something you want to be doing. Yeah. Take and, time. And um, on this playing tight, um, we had gotten a feedback email. And one of the things that I talked to him about um, he was asking about like how useful it is for if just you're just collecting the seven win data. But uh, one of the things I said is at least for where I am at in my level of skill, you know, looking at people's seven win decks has been kind of helpful and motivating me to be a better player because you know there's like some people obviously have just like bomb decks and you're like oh I see how this deck gets seven wins and there but there are some decks in our list where I'm like. I mean even the deck um, from James today where I'm just like how he must you know, he's doing something that I'm not to get this deck to seven wings and I need to figure out like where in my play I'm being loose that's like not allowing me to take these decks to seven wins. Like why do I need to only have like why why do I need to have the bombs to get to seven wins when there are some people are taking these like meh decks there and uh you know so it's been like really helpful for me and like forcing me to think about my play a lot more to figure out where i can tighten up and be a better player and get these kind of decks to seven wins okay then number six
1: all right so this is a an interesting one um i just wrote down variance and tilt so variance is just that concept that we are we are the game that we're playing here. Eternal is inherently fueled by variance. Like your draw depend, you know, determines what you're able to play with. It's not like chess where every everything is available to all people at all times and there's no hidden information. Variance, you don't know what's gonna happen. It it's what makes it fun, honestly. It's what makes it exciting, but it also is what makes it very frustrating as well. Uh, and I'm sure many long-time card game players understand this and know this. I, I have a, I'm come from a long line of uh, complaining card game players. My grandpa played bridge, and I played with him. And uh, it's amazing how long that guy spent being angry about his cards. <laughs> I feel like, and it's it's helped me to always keep perspective about variants and related to tilt um which is the concept of when you are kind of in a funk or a bad place mentally and it can affect your play um and i have a quote here from a a player magic turtle i don't know if magic i think he's still playing but wrote a really interesting article um applying his lessons from being a professional poker player to eternal and we the article we'll post it we'll link it to the, our our show when we put it up because it's it's pretty interesting it's a lot of dry statistics and stuff to to wade through but he does make great points about bluffing and different sort of uh decision points and he had a really cool thing that he said um pretty straightforward about tilt here and i'll just i'll just read his quote because i've always kind of liked going back to this uh, so he says losing sucks nobody likes to lose it isn't fun and it feels like you're wasting your time parentheses assuming you're trying to win instead of just playing a list for fun and casual where winning isn't the main goal losing over and over messes with your mind doubt about your skills can creep in you might stop taking risks where you would you would be for and were correct to take them Your play suffers, your win rate rate drops, and the swings get worse. You have to get out of the tilted mindset. Recognize when you are tilted. Maybe your heart rate goes up or your mouse clicks can be heard by the neighbors across the street. You're clicking so hard from frustration. Maybe it's something more obvious, like smashing a computer mouse or just coming home from a bad day at work and wanting to crush some noobs. These are all signs of tilt and will cause you to deviate from your A game. tilting can be as simple as taking a break for an hour or a day, having a glass of water, going for a walk. It may take longer, but everyone is different. The best advice I can give you is don't even worry about your rank or your wins, frustrating to miss dailies, of course. Competitive eternal, just like poker, isn't actually about winning, it's about consistently making the right decisions do that and results will come in the long run so that was magic turtle and i i I like just you know going back to this article from time to time to remind myself of this effect (laughs) because it it is it's important to to remember that it's it's about consistency all around in the long run um that's that's what progresses you because you can lose 6 in a row but if you are managed to you know continue playing solid and continue to play tight like we were talking about earlier you'll you'll get there like it's going to happen you just it's going to require a little bit of focus and also you know take breaks don't get so caught up in it i know we've i've talked with some other friends about when you get a little too invested in your your win rate or your rating or anything like that, it can it can feel uh, like it's throwing off everything. And when if I think if you're getting to that point, you do need to just step away, take a break, um, try to play your games when you're you know at your best, when you're alert. I wouldn't recommend trying to climb at midnight
0: when you're exhausted. <laughs> so. Something to think about. So that is um, Ruben's six points to in good. So next, we're gonna go to our uh, draft segment where we're gonna go through a draft I did. It was actually kind of a frustrating draft for me at first because the first few packs felt so underwhelming that I felt pretty lost starting in. So um, I'm a little interested in seeing uh, what Ruben's opinions are on some of these packs. Okay, so pack one, pick one. Uh, cards in contention are Display of Instinct. That's the uh, three power, fire, time, primal. Deal four damage to an enemy or put one of your units into your hand and gain its health or negate an enemy spell. There is Twin Fang Cobra, uh, which is the four time-time, two-one, uh, deadly, in entomb, in uh, create and draw a plus-two power Viper Fang with deadly, a uh, Bannerman, and a Curator's Spear. And you took the Bannerman. I took the Bannerman. So that's a pretty disciplined
1: pick. Uh, I think I, I would have probably picked the display, mm-hmm. um, just because I, I, I do like picking just the most powerful card in the pack the first few picks and then reassessing what's kind of flowing or coming to me because I, I, I think that this is a point of you could argue this this pick for days because I, I think the Bannerman is obviously going to make it in any deck you play absolutely. It's right. is a, is a very solid pick. Um, it's just whether or not you know you want to be first picking something like that over a, a removal spell um, yeah is, it's close it's actually much closer than <laughs> you would think i think
0: yeah i mean again i mean i think we talked about this a lot last week where i just it takes a lot for me to pick one of these trifaction cards i think yeah um, especially early okay so i took bannerman uh ruben took display of instinct okay so next pack uh pack um pack one pick two um Cards in contention are, uh, there's another Twin Fang Cobra. Uh, There's Defiance, which is one justice, kill an attacking enemy unit cost three or less, or stun an attacking enemy unit with cost four or more. There's Pompous Historian, which is the four time time, uh, three, three. Summon, draw a sentinel or relic from the top five cards of your deck, discard the rest. And uh, a Bleak Basin Guide and a Bannerman. So You this... took Defiance? Yes. Nice.
1: There was another Bannerman. Why didn't you take the Bannerman?
0: I was... <laughs> I actually... I almost did. If Defiance wasn't a removal spell, I think I would have...
1: Taken... Yeah, I
0: think Defiance is very strong. I think yes. that was a, a pretty safe pick. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah, at this point, you're not getting... It, it's good to point out you're not going to get a signal with this pack too. Like who, whoever was p- passing this took the rare. Um, right. So you're still, it's still a little early to be like, Oh look, time is wide open because they could have taken a time rare. <laughs> um, so that's something to think about when you're okay. drafting. Cause it, it, I think the first three or four packs is pretty much too soon to, it's a, Say that you're being signaled anything is open specifically, unless you're like that e-money's draft and you're getting a second pick astrologer. <laughs> that's a pretty solid signal that that person does not like shadow, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, but that's that's rare. All right, next one.
0: So, pick three: um, there's display of instinct, which is ti- or three time or three-time primal shadow, uh, put an attacking enemy unit on the bottom of the enemy deck. Or draw a relic from your deck, or give one of your units plus two attack and quick draw, and that's permanent. Yeah, that's the display of knowledge. Oh, display of knowledge, sorry. Yeah. Um, there's fall short, uh, infused guardian, and Carandon Steward. So this this time I took steward, and I'm kind of wondering if you would have taken display of knowledge. Um having
1: already taken a Defiance, Yeah, Defiance, I think I, I like your pick of Steward. And I think Steward is actually an incredibly strong card. <laughs> Almost on power level with one of those displays and stuff, personally. Hmm. For such a cheap cost, too. And only one shadow influence. It's it's a great card. I think that was the correct pick. Okay. Totally agree. I, I'm I think Stewards are amazing. They yeah. just defend and attack really well
0: okay uh yeah so then next this is once again this is pick uh pick four and i feel like this is a pretty middling pack too. uh cards of contention umbral edge that's four shadow shadow uh a two two relic weapon with empower plus one plus one there's tunneling gargantuan which is eight time primal five five killer pledge uh plus attack plus health equal to the cost of your highest cost relic. Uh, There is a Carnivorous Sauropod and a Cabal Scavenger. Um, Nice. So if
1: this was my deck and I had taken the display, I'd be pretty happy with a a Sauropod here. But you ended up going with the Umbral Edge.
0: Yeah. And
1: I I think Umbral Edge is okay. I, I think that it's not it's not great especially because the double shadow influence requirement mm-hmm. makes it a little harder to cast and getting those empower triggers is is hard yeah i haven't had much success with that card or seen it played very much against me either
0: yeah it it actually didn't make my final deck and it's a card that i always i feel like i always take and then it never ends up making my deck cuz i get too nervous about how uh, sort of conditional it can be. But I have seen it be very, very good. But in this pack, I do think Carnivorous Sauropod, this is one of those picks that we kind of always talk about. I do think Carnivorous Sauropod is a better card than Umbral Edge, but since I had a Defiance in Carrot and Steward, I was just like, well, now I would have all five colors. And I wasn't sure if the, the Sauropod was was, you know, I don't think the sword Pod is better than Defiance or Carradine Steward, so it made me want to link. Just like, I just picked like the best card in those colors, kind of.
1: Yeah, I th- I, I can see that. I think there is a little bit of a s- potential for a signal here with the Gargant- Gargantua and the Saurpod and the Token of Instinct, all in the same mm-hmm. colors. And Surveyor is a perfectly playable. It's the five-two pledge for four right in fire i think that card is perfectly playable so it it looks like maybe those those factions uh, are potentially open but it also could just spin this pack was an anomaly and had a lot of those instinct gen f cards
0: yeah though as we'll see in the next ones this is pick five uh cards in contention are penitent bull that's the four time justice pay five and sacrifice kind of bold to play three random sigils from your deck depleted and it's a three two there's a stone shell walker which is the five time or five fire time uh five five overwhelm entomb you get plus five power this turn there's another carnivorous sauropod and there's uh in my colors there's a breath stealer (laughs) <laughs> and a coastal huntsman so and a coastal huntsman
1: yeah yeah this is one of the few times where i think my my deck would have been way better than yours at this point <laughs> yes <laughs> with my potential picks because it, it looks like that once again that those colors are just wide open sauropod huntsman and and stone shell walker all really good in that deck um mm-hmm. in the Gen of deck um so it would be an interesting choice between those cards honestly
0: if you knew you were in these so what yeah what would you take between the the stone shell walker carnivorous sauropod and coastal huntsman
1: probably the walker at -hmm. this point in the draft um i I think that a five five overwhelm for five is just really good Mm -hmm. um
0: yeah and and it's easier to cast at this point you're kind of thinking to yourself that you're you're giving up on the carrot stewart that you got second pick
1: yeah, yeah 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 and not necessarily completely giving up um because sometimes you do you can change directions multiple times in a draft it's not it's not ideal it's not what you want to be doing but sometimes it's where the picks take you um
0: and then let's see so the next pick yep this is uh pick six uh cards in contention um there's a wind cloak, which is a two primal pay for to give one of your units uh, flying this turn. Relic. There's bottoms up, one fire, give a unit plus two attack this turn. Amplify two, give a unit plus two attack this turn. Um, and there's a power breach sentinel. And for me, there is another breath stealer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it you did take the stone shell walker from the previous pack.
1: I did like. just just and, because I guess the you know, yeah, the breath stealer that card is just not great,
0: not great. Yeah, and actually I took the um, power Breeze sentinel because it fits in the color, the color combination I was anyway. Um, right. Yep. Because you had a
1: one justice card and two shadow cards. Hey, I think that this pick um, was incorrect. Um, I think bottoms up is is the correct pick here because that, mm-hmm. that that card is pretty close to a bomb in the format right now right basically basically is in the in the right deck which
0: is most decks <laughs> yeah so, and and, and I've, if, I've
1: seen it you know just do crazy things it's super flexible and powerful
0: yeah and this is a, a yeah another one especially looking back it pick six if you're seeing a bottoms up you're probably should start thinking that maybe Fire is open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is.
1: I think very, very much so. And yeah, that's pretty late Power Breach Sentinel too. So I think those those colors are mm-hmm. would be good to go. But, I, I mean, Sentinel is also good. I don't think that was a poor pick, but... Right. Yeah, bot- bottoms up. I, I rarely am passing that card, especially if I haven't s- totally set my factions in yet which yeah. I don't think you have here at all. You've got... Really, it's just Defiance, Steward, and Stone show Walker at this point. You had a Bannerman, so you, you could have gone a bunch of different directions. Yeah. And even even the bottoms-up does fit in Justice Shadow, which are your two best cards, so right, you could have gone Winchest here.
0: Yeah, and then I, I only do this pick seven to show... Um, sort of as a self-pity exercise, and to make it show, like how I was having trouble reading Signals because pick seven, cards of contention, Elvish Swindler, five Primal Primals, summon uh, play a Relic of your choice with cost two or less from your deck. It's a 2-3. There's another Tunneling Gargantuan. There's a left-right Cord- Cordier and a Fledgling Aviasaur. There was like no cards for me, no cards for you really. I would have taken probably the Fledgling big old
1: worm. I'm the aware. Tunneling gargantua. Yeah, cuz if you're if you're playing a slow enough uh, game plan mm-hmm. which at the, at this point I would have had a Stone Shell Walker and a Sauropod, and the tunneling gargantua isn't a ho- horrible card. It, the having pledge with two different factions is also pretty good and um in in a lot of these slower Genev decks you're getting to 8 power a lot of games. So I think hmm. I think I would have hedged on that one just because the other cards weren't really particularly appealing. Um, swindler is hard to. <laughs> I mean, it, it can it can be good if you have, um, you know, maybe, interacted in an egg or two. Even then, that's not great. Yeah. So that, I, there's not a whole lot I can imagine snagging with the swindler that's gonna have a massive impact on the game. Um, a V S R is also. I'm pretty not. Stoked on that card, especially in Genov, which is a little more of a you're, you're, slower, you're bigger. Whole, yeah, your whole you're going slower and bigger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I probably wouldn't have ended up playing the gargantuan or anything, but I would have picked it.
0: Yeah. See, I I never pick it, and I never play gargantuan. It just eight is too scary of a number for me. Yeah. Well, it does which is work actually when it comes a lie down. because. I, <laughs> I actually put the uh, 8 time 8 <laughs> guy in this deck in the end. So. Oh yeah,
1: well if you got a Power Breach Sentinel into Gargantua that yeah. helps.
0: That's true. I ended up uh, picking up a late Curator Spear and a Mob roll and a Pack Beast.
1: Nice, Mob rolls, very good.
0: Yeah, so there ended up being a couple um, Shadow Cards coming late that I think weren't that bad. I mean, I think a Curator Spear Bear, you get them late, but I think they're pretty usable cards. Yeah, and, and the mob roll also, I feel like they end up going pretty late sometimes. So that made me think that maybe Shadow was open again. Yeah, but yeah. So then next, um, in this pack, uh, which was a much better pack, there's an Annihilate, which is two Shadow kill a unit with a single, with a single faction fast spell. There's an insistent automaton, which is a four time, four five summon. Put one of your other units into your hand, and there's a changey stick. And you took Annihilate. I took Annihilate. Yep. 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 And would you you would take a changey stick, I guess, because you're in. Uh, oh, yeah. If I had been
1: drafting that big fire Gine- time, Gen-
0: fumble, yeah. Yeah,
1: Genev deck. Yeah, probably changey stick
0: would have been my pick. Um, but Annihilate's a good pickup for you here pick uh, 14 is there is a reinvigorate which is a two justice ready one of your units give it endurance it gets plus one plus one this turn for each of its battle skills there's a Xenon banner and there's a dark return and I took the dark return nice and uh would you have taken the dark return or a banner at this point you are
1: definitely have the potential to head into Xenon. Territory with the power, power breach sentinel. Yeah, maybe, I guess I... maybe the courtier, but probably not. Um, yeah, but yeah, dark return is just a great card. I I, yeah, I think you made the right pick.
0: Okay,
1: because dark return in a lot of games just says basically one power, draw your
0: best unit, <laughs> and give it plus one plus one. <laughs> yeah, dark Return's a great draft card. Okay, so pick fifteen. Uh, cards in contention. There's an emerald ring, which is three justice. Once per turn, you may pay three to play a plus one, plus one weapon on one of your units. There's an amethyst acolyte, which is um, the gives an enemy minus one, minus one. Um, there is a peacekeeper helm and a xenon banner for me, and then there's a lightning strike and a ruination sledge for you. <laughs> Or, or ancient defenses, uh, or ancient. common.
1: Oh yeah, the, the relic that does three damage on summon. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good in those Geneva sentinel decks and stuff, and mm. and just being a three damage removal spell is good. Uh, you took the emerald ring here. For yeah, the we- I- for the
0: weapon pumping out. Yeah, you know I really do like emerald ring. I'm not sure it was necessarily the pick to take here, looking at it now. Uh, what do you think you would do? I think I would have uh
1: probably taken the banner. The Xenon banner. The Xenon banner there. Or even... the or acolyte. No, 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 I forgot acolyte.
0: Yeah, it's like it's, even it, after yeah. last week. So.
1: I, yeah, I, I take that back. The amethyst acolyte is great. Um mm-hmm. I think it's it's such a solid guard that it's um we we are getting into the territory where you have to start thinking about potentially taking fixing but you, don't, you wouldn't take Fixing over just a elegantly powerful 3-drop like the like Amethyst exactly yeah,
0: like. That's definitely in your main color.
1: Yeah, I think it was the pick over Emerald Ring for your deck specifically, too. You yeah. got, you know, and a Dark Return and stuff. Emerald Ring really shines in decks that want lots of uh, Renown triggers and stuff, too.
0: Pick uh, 16. There is an Oni Quartermaster, which is the 3-fire 2-2 two two. when you play a weapon, draw a card. Uh, there's Infused Strike, which is two shadow, give one of your units plus three, plus one, in life steal this turn. And a Civic Peacekeeper, which is a... Uh, yeah, Civic Peacekeeper. The Empower Stunna unit. Yes.
1: And you took the Civic Peacekeeper. Yes. Um, I think that was just about the best thing you had offered yeah. to you here. Infused
0: Strike is okay. It, it can be a decent trick. You know, I wonder if this was... Uh, if this could have been a good time for me to to look at my token am, ambition and think maybe this is where I jump into fire and get rid of you know because I still for um, time only have a pack beast and that yeah sentinel
1: and quartermaster is
0: incredibly busted with emerald ring yeah exactly <laughs> and yeah. Uh, I didn't know this at the time but I actually pick up a second emerald ring so I feel oh, like oh wow
1: yeah and you had a Curator's spear and. Uh, an umbral edge to also draw cards off of the quartermaster yeah I think I think you're right I think quartermaster was probably the pick here and and hedging on dropping out of the time for the fire
0: and that's really interesting because like by pick 16 I'm I'm just usually in my draft I'm not thinking about switching colors and so I did I don't know if I really even looked at the quartermaster of course, then I would have immediately doubted this decision with this next pick. Um, in the next pack, the only good card really are a Trailmaker and a Dispel. Yeah, Trailmaker is definitely a okay. great card. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yep, and then the next pick there was there really wasn't anything, just a Banner. And eh, then... that's
1: not nothing. A zen, yeah a zine and banners
0: was a Zen and banner No, i saw a lot of Zen and banners this uh this draft um yeah so it was good is the on color banner and there wasn't really anything else exciting in the pack and then you're giving um, up a skeeter yeah that's okay and then pick 19 um there is there's a cobalt ring which is the three primal um once per turn you may pay three to draw a card then discard a card an amber ring once per turn you may pay three to play a one one explorer and that's a three time relic and a wormstone and a xenon stranger
1: and you took the xenon stranger
0: i took the xenon stranger i only highlighted this pick because i was just wondering cobalt ring or amber ring where Mm -hmm. are you
1: at on, on those two cards specifically? Yeah,
0: just if you were like... Uh, I think a- Amber Ring is a great
1: card for the Relic payoff deck. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Cobalt Ring, if you're in... If you got Primal, you kind of need it. Um, it helps like Honey Pot do more damage and stuff. I think Amber Ring is definitely a much better card than Cobalt okay. Ring. Being able to make a 1-1 every single turn can win games on its own. Just a steady, steady flow of jump blockers against a lot of decks is enough um i think that you take the stranger and i think that was probably the the safe pick here Mm -hmm. um wormstone is the card that jumps out to a lot of people i think for power level but you didn't have looking like you have a whole lot well you got dark return defiance annihilate mob rule so wormstone could be a potential. A, a, a potential pick. But it also looks like you're um, going to end up three factions at this point in the draft. Mm-hmm. So so I think taking the Stranger was correct. And it's two
0: drop and you didn't have a lot of... Pack three, uh, pick one. There wasn't really anything exciting for me. I mean, there was an Emerald Ring and a Xenon Stranger, I think, were the only two cards that were worth taking for me. And I took another Emerald Ring and at this point i had uh one, two, three, four, five, uh two drops i guess with i guess so the reason i highlighted this is like with five two drops going into pick one of pack three would you take the stranger or are you like oh this is actually i probably am pretty good on two drops and emerald ring is a pretty good card
1: um i don't think think a second emerald ring is going to make your deck mm-hmm. um, so I probably wouldn't have bothered if you had had that quartermaster pick earlier oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah in the, with what you had I think the Xenon stranger was the correct pick here because mm-hmm. um, it's I think five or six two drops is a fine place to be
0: yeah and you, uh, can, you can get away with less if you need to but yeah and then the next up, card 38, actually, pack, uh, pack four, pick two. There is a Resolute Monk, which is the two-time, three-one, empower plus two, plus two, and it Overwhelm this turn, uh, and a Barrel Throw, and an Infused Guardian. And um, I took the Resolute Monk. Uh, I think you probably would have taken the Resolute Monk. Yeah, yeah, um, I like that card. But it did nothing for me. It died <laughs> the second I played it in every single game. and uh, Which kind of, I think, maybe got me down on the card a little bit, but maybe in a results-oriented way where...
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you don't have any five drops in this deck at this point. Mm-hmm. So maybe in, an argument for Infused Guardian here um, could be made. Because I yeah. think Infused Guardian is just a solid card that wins the game and your deck isn't particularly aggressive to take advantage of the monk as much right you're looking a a little more defensive to me at this point so maybe infused guardian was probably a little better yeah but like maybe maybe this is playing into that rarity bias we talked about yeah I don't know because you're just like ooh monk. I I love playing with that card.
0: Yeah, well, when like
1: maybe the guardian might have been better for you particularly here.
0: Oh, I guess if uh, there is also barrel through barrel through is not bad at all. We had uh, one of our listeners uh, say that they wanted us to talk a little bit about cutting down decks and how to make those choices um, from going from what you drafted to your final deck. So. I still haven't figured out how to put pictures in show notes, but if I do, this picture will be in the show notes. Um, but we're just gonna kind of cut talk about the deck I ended or the cards I ended up with, and kind of how we got to my eventual forty-five. So, when you look at my deck, uh, the main things that really stand out to me is um, I have eight. I drafted eight playable two drops um and a lot of pretty good top end so i have a warband scald a civic peacekeeper two power breach sentinels a slime spitter slug valkyrie arcanist and a runic protector Um, and then also the other thing that i look at is you know i stuck in sort of all my playables and with all my playables, I have 19 units, uh, 7 attachments, and 7 spells, giving me 33 cards. So from this, what are you thinking? With, those, with the cuts? Yeah. I'd, I would have probably shaved two of the two drops off the top right away. Two of the two drops off the top, yeah. Yeah
1: yeah I think you know obviously eight is way too many Beast's pretty bad. yeah Pack Beast I think is the Bold easy Adventure one Old Adventurer is okay but you already have a few, a few really good ones you got two Strangers and a Bannerman so I think you're pretty good on twos mm-hmm. so
0: would you take the Bold Adventurer or the Resolute Monk Like, would, is there any argument for the Resolute Monk being sort of a more offensive card and since you're hoping to get to the late game maybe the Bold Adventurer is a better blocker can... Uh, there it's it's not much of a better blocker resolute monk actually trades, trades up, up better yeah a, a
1: little higher so i think that it's kind of a moot point whereas the resolute monk on offense is just way better so yeah i think bold adventure sometimes you got to do it you got to go on a bold adventure okay so we take two three vanilla
0: <laughs> but i don't think you needed it so we take bold adventure mm-hmm. we take uh pack beast out so now we're down to 31 cards um and so we have four more cuts.
1: Yeah, I probably would have cut. Um, probably the Oathkeeper's Hammer is a little bit just excess at this, with this deck. You're you're when you hit six, you have Peacekeeper, Double Power Breach Sentinel, Slime Spitter, Slug, Arcanist, and Oathkeeper's Hammer is better if you have lots of you know really strong flyers and stuff early. Cut one of the Emerald Rings. Okay, and, one of
0: the Emerald uh, you Rings. Know, two of, you only probably
1: need one in your deck.
0: So and we're at 29 cards. We need two more cuts.
1: probably would look at the spells real quick.
0: So the spells we have Let's are see. Dark Return, Defiance, Annihilate, Devour, Mob Rule, Dispel, and Display a Vision.
1: I would cut the Relics before I'd cut any of those spells. Probably like Curator Spear and Porcelain Mask and Umbral mm. Edge. Umbral Edge, yeah, that goes. I would cut that card.
0: Okay, so you cut Umbral Edge, and then so your last cut you think is a Porcelain Mask or Curator Spear.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Porcelain Mask is, is pretty good in this deck with the heavy top end. So, yeah, probably would have cut yeah. out one of the spears because you, you actually have pretty good removal. Yeah. Like Defiance Annihilate, Mob Rule, um, Dispel is kind of pseudo-removal. Um, even Display of Vision uh, affect the board pretty well.
0: Yeah. But see, then you would play your first game and you would realize that in your four drop spot, you have an aerial spotter, zero, one way to, to yeah. renown it. Right. That's a good point.
1: Yeah. yeah. Aerial spotter's not looking as strong without the emerald rings and the oathkeeper's hammer and stuff.
0: So, would you put your bold adventurer back in, taking out the aerial spotter, or would you be comfortable? Uh, going down to 16 units.
1: No, I, I like I like your high unit count here. Um, you got a mob roll that needs it too.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's uh, pretty similar to what I did, and this is one of my decks that went one of those middling uh, three threes or four threes that I had all week. We're at the end of the show for today, except for our super secret uh, special segment that we always have bonus content Um, so remember to like us on iTunes and uh, send us all your seven win decks you have and also uh, any drafts you would like us to review or any show topics or cards you would like us to talk about your soulmate actually sent us another draft sort of right after I got the show notes together so I think we'll do that next week so anyone else if you'd like us to um, go through a draft please please send them in um, so, for our special segment this week, just thought um, you sent me a deck list of uh, a Genev deck that you were. Oh, no, having... it's Ixton. Oh, Ixton. You're right. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. You sent me an Ixton deck um, that you were having a lot of success with at the end of the ladder, at the end of the season this, this month on ladder. So, I guess uh, we could. Um, go through this specific deck, but also if you want to just kind of talk about your ladder experience, because you were able to uh, get into top one hundred um, this month.
1: Yeah, I managed to do it in in ranked and draft.
0: Yeah, this, this time
1: around, finally, it took it took me a while. I kept uh, sliding at the end of every month.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean right. this this month, right? I feel like right before the end of the month, you were kind of bouncing around in the two hundreds a little bit.
1: Oh yeah, I know I was up as high as 500 Mm -hmm. a few times, Um,
0: but this was the,
1: this Ixton um, Howling Peaks deck is the one that I used to slowly grind back up to it. It helped that I I kind of was already sitting solid in draft, so I got to put most of my time and effort into playing ranked. Um, But it. It's pretty straightforward deck. It ran eight smugglers, um, that you know, four Howling Peak and four Red Canyon smugglers, and to go with the smugglers, I ran three Jotun hurlers and three and f- four zoes, which and
0: I think four is, Jotun Fee Scholars.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I brought up the, the hurlers I... specifically in the Zoe because they right. give you so much utility for popping cards in and out of the market. Um, it feels really crazy when you. You know, market away as though, and then later get him back and get extra treasure troll. You just can a- mm-hmm. accumulate so much value. Um, but I, I also went pretty heavy on the. I did four Ixton Cargo and three Seek Power, um, along with the four torches, because I, I felt like uh, I, I'd, I'd like having the one of Rizon in my market, and that spell count. It's not hard to get there, but um, this helps. Pretty much always guarantee that I'm going to have that life steal effect as well, and it has really helped. And also, this deck is just drawing cards and you know playing a seek power most of the early turns, and has uh, four hailstorm and four harsh roll is really
0: you're you're leaning very heavily on those cards as well. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, and to f- oh sorry, I was just going to say, and to finish the deck out, there's four howling peak, four torches. Uh, four strategize and four wisdom of the elder and 25 power. Yeah.
1: yep. That might be
0: too much, min- too much card draw. <laughs>
1: I, this deck is a grind fest for the record. Um, I, I don't recommend it if you're not, uh, excited by control decks, because this is a pure control deck. It, it does, it, it plays the control role in every single matchup, even like the slower, uh, ramp decks and stuff you're kind of anticipating them with bore and things like that um, and also the trick with bore in case other people haven't haven't figured this out or learned it or, or seen people do it you can against some decks where they're gonna play multiple game winning relics you you play you you know smuggler for your bore and then later on if you get a second smuggler you set it up so that you bore, get a copy of boar smuggler put away that boar back into your market so that you can retrieve it later because when you're running eight smugglers and howling peaks making copies of smugglers like it's really easy to get access back to your market and that's kind of an important line to know about i think with these styles of decks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the the magic of this deck with the eight smugglers is definitely the market. Um, I got a Rizon and Island Clan Mother, who is pulls her weight very much in a lot of matchups. Just dropping that thing down and silencing you know Zalgies and stuff as, or whatever, and then being able to activate it really easily because you typically have no problem getting playing power every single turn with this deck. The
0: mm-hmm. amount of cards you're drawing. Yep. And then so you also uh, have a Cauldron Cookbook and a Burn Them All. Yeah, yeah,
1: I like Burn Them All a lot. I think that card's been really good. And it's one of your ways to uh, burn down sites, um, which can be very problematic for this deck. <laughs> you don't have a lot of ways to interact with sites, um, especially with only the one Rizan in the market. Um, yeah, that's when Burn Them All really shines.
0: Yeah, I was actually... The reason I kind of wanted to talk about this deck is... Well, one, you were having a lot of success with it. But two, it just doesn't look like a successful deck to me, I guess. (laughs) Because, I mean, I I guess it's just very... It feels sort of atypical for a control deck um, where you don't really have any weapons and you have... You know, you're playing Hailstorms and Harsh Rolls, but then actually a fair number of powerful units too that you don't really want to kill. Yeah. Of your own. Um, So it, it, it's, it was interesting to me that, um, that you were doing so well with it.
1: Yeah. It, it requires very um, focused play (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I, I, you definitely struggle for almost every single win with a deck like this. Um, But you still, if you're winning, you know, If you're winning games, you're winning games, is how I was feeling going through with it. Because it it did kind of look funky on paper, but when you start playing it out and you kind of get a feel for the flow of the game and know what you're playing around and what you're anticipating, um, a deck like this can be really flexible. With the Mm -hmm. way the market is built and everything, I really like. like that. And I like that it has... Jotun Hurler, which makes Snowballs, which is very significant in a lot of matchups, you know, killing hojans and stuff, and mm-hmm. Initiates and things like that is really good. Um, so you got, you know, three Jotun Hurlers and four Torch and four Hailstorm. It makes it so that you're... And four Harsh Rule, you can really, like, stall out aggro matchups quite well. Um, mm-hmm. This deck in its current... Uh, form I don't have any cobalt Waystones, which is something to take note of because if mall gets popular this deck would just get absolutely obliterated by mall like it's not even close there's no way
0: I can beat mall ever <laughs> mm-hmm. how how would you say this deck does against argent port cuz that's what i was facing the most of actually where i mean where i was in diamond last month or, you know I, near yeah. the end of it
1: i think you can outgrind a lot of those decks you mm-hmm. you have to be flexible as to what their end game is. Um, be really scared of uh, Chains. <laughs> right. Um, ch- chains is pretty devastating if it goes unanswered, just turning all their piddly stuff into things that I can't torch or hailstorm away anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, Howling Peak um, gunning down and stuff. So, it, yeah, you it's just... It helps to have all that meta knowledge, too, when you see certain cards kind of what you can expect and right this type of deck is drawing so many cards that you can assemble your game plan every single game no matter what it's just a matter of surviving most matchups I found because mm-hmm. for for harsh roll you're going to end up drawing a couple of them with the amount of card draw that you get too Yeah, and that is a great reset button um, really really uh, very needed in a
0: lot of in the meta game, in, in my opinion, yeah. But see, this is this is again where I'm having trouble with this deck is because you're like with all the cl- card draw, you know, it's very consistent in getting to to your game plan. But like the game plan seems to be drawing more cards. <laughs> oh yeah, as as compared to like, I mean, obviously that doesn't they're... excite you.
1: <laughs> no, it it, it
0: yeah. does. I mean, I've been I've been I the end of the season I was mostly playing like the four color uh, temporal control decks um i'm i'm all about drawing cards but i i guess i i I play because i like (laughs) i like to draw cards not necessarily because i was like trying to get the top 100 masters so it's just like i don't know seeing you know like all of these like powerful mid-range strategies that are going on right now and then you like you have this deck which i mean it does have powerful some But like even those powerful units, you're kind of you're in it to draw cards with them as compared to like hit people in the face and and kill them. So so I guess I guess my question really is, is like, how are you winning games? Are you like winning games by getting in like a couple hits with Zoe at the end or like? By getting Jotun hurler in or not Jotun, or the Feast Caller in a couple times, like what yeah, you're, what you're is actually getting that... them to zero?
1: Yeah, so it's it's the the Rizon and the Island and in the market and the the Jotun Feast Callers and Enzo. Zo is a great win con they, they usually doesn't doesn't hit the board in a lot of matchups. You end up getting concessions from a lot of people because you end up with a handful of eight, nine cards and you're just gradually killing everything they play with howling peaks and harsh rolls and, um, burn them all out of the market and stuff. you you just keep, you keep grinding them down. Basically. It's a very, like I said, it's a super slow grindy deck, mm-hmm. but, but I think that it, it has all the tools to win most matchups. Right. Which is why I like it. And I like a deck that has lots of early plays and, um, continues to to filter and draw through their deck with you know things like strategize and stuff because that that's really the kicker for a deck like this is you never want to miss like a power drop ever Mm -hmm. and that that can sink you immediately if you miss your your drops because you want to be smoothly getting into howling peak range every single game so I think that, that that has helped. That's the reason why so much of the card draw really exists, is to keep it consistent. Right. <clears throat> and I think I think Hailstorm's pretty good right now, personally. I'm, I've been running into a lot of Grenadins and a lot of, you know, Recano aggro and stuff. And Hailstorm just wins the game on the spot <laughs> against some of those aggro decks especially. Yeah. So that that is that's felt good. But yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've played other decks too, um, but this was the one that I did the most climbing
0: with. So what, what are you going to start this month with? Are you a start slow and have fun for a little bit kind of player, or are you not, you're starting hard?
1: Uh, no, I, I usually like to feel things out and play thing, uh, try things out and experiment a little bit for a while until I find what's working, though this was already working at the end of the last season, <laughs> and mm-hmm. not enough has changed to make me go off of it, probably. So, yeah, I'll probably be playing this starting out, and
0: but, but I,
1: uh, you know, the is coming up at the end of the week, so I'll be, I, I'm, I'm definitely the type of player to be very open, and I'm totally down to net deck at the last minute, if it seems like the correct call. Mm-hmm. If That's not ideal, though. You definitely want to have an understanding of a deck before you take it through 28 rounds of a tournament yeah so there's something to be said for familiarity and understanding your strategy so because of that i might stick with this deck but um when when the actual tournament rolls around i, I wouldn't doubt that i'd be playing something different honestly
0: yeah though i have a feeling this one people aren't going to be as settled on what to play
1: yeah it's going to be a lot more wide open i'm super excited to see what people are bringing
0: Yeah. I agree, and uh, maybe we'll talk about, because next week we'll be recording uh, right before it, so maybe you'll have a more solidified thought on what you hope to be playing. I want to thank everyone for listening, and until next week, remember to keep on farming. Bye. Bye.